you have a typical Western mentality, Brother Fralick, you probably think you're poor. Because we always compare ourselves against multi-millionaires that are driving numerous cars and they've got 7,000 square foot houses and all that other good stuff. Here's reality. 20% of our world live on less than a dollar a day. 20%. Every single one of you in here are blessed beyond your understanding. A dollar a day. I'm going to tell a story that has absolutely nothing to do with what I'm going to preach here in a moment. But I was struck by something when I was in Kenya a few years ago on a missions trip. We were driving down this dirt road, Brother Roger, and there was this dirty little flowing of water. And there was these kids in there filling up these jugs of water. And the pastor, local pastor there told us, he said, they're all going to get sick. He said, everybody knows that water's contaminated. All their families know it's contaminated, but they got to have water. So they was knowingly going to a contaminated water source because it was all they had. Think about that the next time you go to your tap water and turn the knob and complain that there's too much fluorine in it. We're blessed, folks. Blessed by the Lord to live in a great and prosperous nation. Amen. If you have your Bibles, if you turn with me to Isaiah chapter 55, I want to preach to you a simple message today about His ways. We struggle understanding God, and rightfully so, because He is so transcendent and ineffable, it's hard for us to begin to rationalize how God thinks, how God acts. And the Bible understands and appreciates that dilemma, and we find an understanding in Isaiah 55 and 6, verses down to verse 11, that I want to preach to you. Now, over the next few weeks, as we begin to get back to church as normal, continue to pray for those that are sick. I know many families contacted me this week, and they're going to be here next Sunday, just kind of filtering out of the whole COVID process. This stuff messes things up. Can we say amen? Amen, but God has a plan in it all. Isaiah 55 and 6, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his ways, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Now listen to verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. I am so glad he doesn't think like me. I saw a lot of heads nodded with acknowledgement. I told somebody recently, I'm going to talk to you about his mercy in a moment. I said, God is way more merciful than I am, and I thank the Lord for that. My patience runs out far quicker than the Lord's. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and return not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater. In other words, God is explaining the great level and gravity of His thoughts. Who in their right mind would think that a cloud would manifest in the sky? And from the cloud would come rain. 
and the rain would come down and hit dirt, and inside of dirt would be a little seed, and inside of a seed would be grass, and as the rain would come down from a cloud and filter through the dirt, it would find a seed and help germinate that seed to bring forth, and God said, see, my thoughts are different than your thoughts. That don't make sense to you, God said, but it makes perfect sense to me. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please. And it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. I am glad this morning that God's Word is able to pierce into atmospheres and situations that our Word cannot go into. I'm not preaching about this this morning, but let me throw this in for good measure. God's Word will never return void. When the Word is preached, when the Word is given, when the prophetic utterance goes forth, it will not return empty. It will not return void. It will accomplish the purpose whereunto God has sent it to accomplish Can I tell you this morning, there is nothing more powerful than the Word of God preached, the Word of God heard, the Word of God lived, the Word of God experienced. It has got the power to bring forth as the rain comes down to the soil and brings forth the grass. When the Word of God is preached in a city, it brings forth revival. It brings forth anointing. It brings forth change. It will change our city. But let's talk about us for a moment. We're human. Put your hand out. Take a look at that. That's known as flesh. The problem with being human, Brother Chance, is we think like humans. Or if I could be blunt, we think like a creation and not the Creator. When we think about things, Brother Day, generally we think in terms of logical and rational. Hopefully you do anyways. Some of you got that, others you don't. Just think about it. We typically think in terms of things that make sense to us, things that are scientific in nature. If something is tangible, Brother Chance, and we could touch it and taste it and feel it, then we believe in it. If we could prove something and quantify it through the scientific method, then we accept its validity. Speaking in terms of generality, and, and I, I mean this, we are able to stereotype nature. And I know people tell you stereotyping is wrong, but as a generalization, there is something we see across the board as humans. Typically, as humans, we are quick to anger and slow to forgive because our thoughts are not like the Lord's. We are quick to complain but slow to compliment. We are quick to gossip and slow to prayer. We are quick to accept the negative, but we tend to resist the positive. We are quick to acquiesce to the desires of the flesh, uh, but slow to conform to the leading of the Spirit. We are quick to give people a piece of our mind, but we are slow to tell them about Jesus. 
Can we be honest here this morning when it comes to the way that we think and the way that we act? Our ways many times are vastly different than the ways of God, the way He thinks and the way He acts. And this morning for a little while, I want to preach to you about His ways. And this message is going to challenge you to a deeper level of Christian maturity to get you to the point where you are willing to start saying, I don't want to think like Jason anymore, but I want to think think like Jesus. I don't want to act like a man anymore, but I want to act Christ-like in my ways that I deal with people. It's going to challenge you where you're at. But hear me this morning, this message is vitally important to your walk with God in revival in our city because many times what the world thinks about God is a direct result of what you have showed them about God. Come on, somebody. What your neighbor thinks about Jesus is a direct reaction to the Jesus you have showed them. That's why the Apostle Paul tells us that we are ambassadors of Christ. When you leave this church and you go out in Walmart, you're not going as Seth May. You are going as an ambassador of Christ. When you get up in the morning and you go to work, you're not going as Dave Ross into work. You're going as an ambassador of Christ. When you're going through drive through at McDonald's uh, and you ordered a Big Mac uh, and they give you a double cheeseburger uh, and you get all angry and frustrated uh, do not forget uh, that you are an ambassador of Christ uh, you're not representing the Upton family, uh, you're not representing the Granger family, uh, you're not representing the May family uh, you're representing the family of God uh, that's what it means uh, to be an ambassador uh, of Jesus Christ So let me ask you this question this morning. How does your neighbor view Jesus? I'll get even deeper. I'm going to step into some troubled waters. How does your in-laws view Jesus? Oh, we don't like to answer that one, do we? Do they think Jesus is quick-tempered and prone to fits of anger? Or do they view Jesus as humble? Do they think Jesus is indifferent or do they find Him very concerned? Do they think Jesus is materialistic or do they think that Jesus loves people because the Jesus they see is the Jesus you show them? Because we walk around with t-shirts on that says, what would Jesus do? We have no problem telling them they need to come to church, but we need to realize being a Christian is more than coming to church. Being a Christian is more than raising your hands. It's more than clapping during a good song. It's more than standing your feet. No, being a Christian is being Christ-like. It's being conformed to the image of the one who went to the cross because he so loved the world. Can I remind you, you are an ambassador of Christ. And we are to be conformed to his image. I've alluded to it already, but there's a vast chasm and difference between the way we think and God thinks. The ways of Lord and our ways. And if we are going to break that mindset, Brother Jim, if we are going to become everything God wants us to do, uh, then we got to do what Paul told the church in Philippi, uh, and we got to let this mind be in you, uh, which was also in Christ Jesus. Uh, in other ways, uh, we need to start thinking like Jesus. Uh, we need to start acting like Jesus. Uh, if we're going to claim that we are Christian, uh, then we need to start 
in Christ-like and start treating each other and our neighbors and everyone around us the way Jesus expects us to do so. And you'll be amazed at the liberty you find when you start acting like Jesus. Folks, He thinks differently than us. Let me illustrate what I'm talking about in Mark chapter 12, verse 42. There was a widow that came and she threw two mites into the collection plate. A mite was a very small amount of money, less than your penny pretty much. It's all she had, Brother Roger. All she had was his two mites. Other people were coming out. I'm going to contemporize this, Brother Chance. Uh, and they were throwing in $1,000. They were throwing in 500 And being the good apostolic Christians they are now, I'm paraphrasing this, uh, they're looking. You see that smelly old stinky widow? She brought two pennies and put it in the offering plate. I put in 100 today. I put in 500 today. But you know the way Jesus thinks? He told his disciples, he said, that woman gave more than everyone else. They gave out of their abundance, but she gave out of her poverty. Can I tell you this morning, God's ways are not always. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Can I remind you, He sees things differently than us and we are going to have to close the eyes of carnality if we're ever going to see in the spirit the way he sees things jesus was teaching a multitude of people and his heart was broken with compassion because they hungered and he told the disciples we need to feed them and they brought five loaves and two fishes and then they gave an excuse and said what is so little among so much you see, to the disciples' way of thinking, just let them go, Jesus. They could starve. We're not here to cater to them. We're not here to feed them. But Jesus said, I don't want them to hunger. They said, all we have is this little amount. He said, that's enough to feed the multitude. Bring me the five loaves and two fishes. Why? Because His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Noah, I want you to build an ark, people for 120 years are walking by. What are you doing? I'm building this ark. For what? We are inland. It's never rained before. You're wasting your time. People saw a fool, but God saw a man of faith. Why? Because his thoughts are not all the disciples were on the Sea of Galilee and the storm kicked up and they were afraid they were going to die and they were fearful and they get Jesus. They saw a storm, but Jesus saw a peace that was just waiting to be declared because His ways are not our ways. You see a man that is a drunk. You see a woman that is hopeless. You see a life that is shattered and worthless. But God sees it as someone who is redeemable. Somebody who is deliverable. Somebody that can be changed. Why? Because his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Let God stretch your thinking this morning. If you're going to walk out of this place with a fresh perspective of faith uh, that is unbreakable and unshakable, uh, you've got to be willing uh, to let your thoughts be killed in the altar uh, and assume the mind of Christ. 
I'm going to take a few moments this morning and simply give you a couple ways in which God thinks differently than us, Brother Rich. First off, His ways are mighty. Now, I know that's mind-blowing. That, that blew your mind so apart. Each of you has elevated six inches out of your seat when I said it. But here's the problem, Brother Chance. We know His ways are mighty, but we don't understand it. And I can tell you as a pastor, we don't understand it because I'm your pastor. We get up and we sing about how He's the Almighty, then we leave here acting like He has no might. We call with prayer requests that illustrate that our faith is not in Jesus. Folks, I know His ways are mighty, but we got to get to the point that we understand it. And if you understand, you will live your life and respond differently to the situations that you are facing. When you're faced with an unsurmountable obstacle in a situation that is too great for you, what do you do? If you can't pay your bills, do you go get a bank loan? Or do you pray and ask God to bless you? Is God your last resort after you've exhausted every other means? Or is it your first recourse? You see, this is what I'm preaching about this morning, church. And when Abraham was 90 years old and 9, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. But Jesus said unto them, With God all things are possible. Revelation 19 and 6, the Apostle John said that he heard as it were the voice of a great multitude and as the voice of many waters and as the voice of the mighty thundering saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Fifty-six times in the Bible it uses the word Almighty in every single time that word is used it is used of God not one time is it used of man not one time is it used of a false God but every time the word almighty it is used to describe the might and the power of the one who sits on the throne the Bible says that God is omnipotent which means he's got all power on heaven and on earth now, we've had a colloquialism slip into the modern-day church to express this. Instead of us saying God is almighty, we've got to the point that we are saying, Brother James, God is able. And I'm fine with that. What you're saying when you say God is able, you're saying, I know He's the almighty. He can make a way where there seems to be no way. I'm trying to tell somebody his ways are not our ways. You may look and see a closed door, but God says, I've got the key to open it. You may look and see a mountain that you can't move, but God says, I am able to pluck it up and to cast it into sea because my ways are almighty. The situation you're going through doesn't matter. God is able. It doesn't matter what we put on this side of the equation. God is always greater than anything you are going through. He is almighty. And it doesn't matter. He is greater than your sickness. He is greater than your financial problems. He is greater than your marriage problems. At some point, you've got to realize you've got to put your trust in the Lord. Let me rattle your thinking here for a moment. God can heal turkey just as quick as He can a two-day-old cold. 
Let me try it again. God can handle and heal terminal cancer just as quick as He does a two-day-old cold. You see, some of you know it, but you don't understand it. You know it because theologically it's been taught to you and preached to you. But when you get to the part where you understand it, you step by faith and you pray for those that are terminally sick, knowing and believing that God is able. God can move upon someone to donate a million dollars to the church just as quick as He does somebody to give ten dollars because He is almighty. He can move a mountain just as effortlessly as He does a molehill. He can bring streams and the desert just as easy as he does a river in a rainforest because his ways are almighty and he's not limited or restricted by what we are going through. God can do anything just as quick and easy as he can do anything else. It was this understanding that God was imparting to Abraham. This is in Genesis 18 and 14. God asked Abraham this question, Brother Roger. Is there anything too hard for me to do? Let it sink in. Let it sink in. You see, when God shows up at your door, Brother James, and he knocks, he says, hey, I've got to ask you a question. Do you really believe there's something too hard for me to do? You see, Abraham, the reason you're not having your miracle yet, and the reason why you've been waiting 25 years for your son to be born is not because my timetable is off, but yours is. Because you've not quite realized there is nothing too difficult for me to do. And the moment you realize that, Abraham, then a miracle is going to happen. Can I challenge you this morning? I want you to think of the greatest problem you're dealing with right now and let the Holy Ghost ask you a question. Is that problem too hard for God to fix? Is this sickness too terminal for God to heal? I'm here to tell you, no, it's not. We serve a God who has heaven as His throne and the earth as His footstool. And He is able to heal, to fix, to straighten, to change because there is nothing too hard for the Lord to do. Now I told you this message is going to challenge your faith in Christian maturity. When you grasp the fact that He is mighty, and that He is the absolute Almighty. You will not live in fear and timidity to what you're facing in the world. This is where the metal meets the meat in the sermon. It calls all the time, and so I'm going to walk down some of your street right now. I get text messages all the time. Pastor, please pray for me. I don't know what I'm going to do. Does that really sound like a man of faith? Does that sound like somebody who understands the ways of God? Does that sound like somebody who realizes that God has everything in His control? I just don't know what I'm going to do. You see, when you really understand He's the Almighty, you don't need to understand anything else. Let me just be honest about it. 
When you understand He's the Almighty, Brother James, you don't need to understand anything else. You get to the point where you realize God's in control and God is sovereign. And if the Lord blesses me, He blesses me. If the Lord takes it away, He takes it away. You see, Job understood that's why in the midst of the storm, he could say, bless the Lord. The Lord blesses, and he can take it. The Lord blesses, and he can give it. I'm just going to trust in the Lord no matter what. Because he understood that God was in control. When you understand his might, you realize that he keeps the stars in their course. When you understand his might, you know that he keeps the planets in their orbit. He keeps the tide ebbing and flowing. And if the God of heaven and the King of all glory can keep the stars in their alignment, and He can keep the planets in their orbit, and He can keep the tide ebbing and flowing when and where He's supposed to, surely He can get me through anything I am going through. I'm here to tell somebody right now, you need to pray for your faith to increase. God has not abandoned you. God has not left you. God is right there with you, get you through. But you've got to understand His ways are mighty. The second thing I want you to understand is His ways are miraculous. After approximately 400 some years of captivity, God brought Israel out of Egyptian bondage. It's recorded like this in Exodus 14 and 9. But the Egyptians pursued after them all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them encamping by the sea beside Piharoth before Belsephon. If you're sitting beside your wife or your husband, turn to them and say, oh no. It's probably not the first time you've done that in your marriage, is it? Oh no. God, I don't understand this. He brought all these plagues in Egypt. You said you was delivering us, God. And now Pharaoh is coming up behind us. His army, his chariots. They're overtaking us. God, I don't understand this. Have you ever been there before? God, I thought you were doing a great work. Now I find myself in the middle of a mess. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord, and they said unto Moses, Because there was no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone? that we may serve the Egyptians, for it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he shall show you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore Christ thou unto me, speak unto the children of Israel. I love that. God's like, why, why are you praying to me? I already told you what to do. Oh, there's a, there's a sermon right there in and of itself. I already told you what to do, Moses. 
You don't need to pray anymore. You see, there comes a, I'm just going to preach on this for a second. There comes a point where you need to stop praying and start doing. God has already told you what to do. And you keep praying and pray, God, give me direction. God, give me direction. God, give me direction. God said, I've got no other further direction to give you than what I told you five prayers ago. Moses is in that point right now where God says, you need to stop praying. I already told you what to do. Speaking of the children of Israel, that they go forward. But lift thou up thy rod and stretch out thy hand over the sea and divide it, and the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. Israel has their face to the Red Sea, and at their back Pharaoh's army, which was the greatest army of this time period known in history. And literally, they're between a rock and a hard place. Brother Roger, we can't go forward. There's a See there, and we can't go back. The enemy is right there, Brother James, nipping at our heels. And their thoughts, their thoughts is very human in nature. Brother Rich, they think like a natural, logical, rational individual. And let's be real right now as I'm preaching. They thought the same way that we think when we're stuck between a rock and a hard place. Listen to what they complained and told Moses. It would have been better if you would have left us in Egypt to be slaves. We should have stayed where we were at. Did you bring us out here in the wilderness to die because there was no graves in Egypt? Why? Are we even trying, Moses? Now, I'm, I'm preaching as a pastor this morning. I love verse 14. Love it, Brother Rich. Because sometimes you need to come to your man of God. You need to come to your pastor and say, Pastor, I don't want you to play nice. I want you to speak to me bluntly what God is telling me. And they get blunt, anointed Moses in verse 14. And Moses said, you need to shut up. Read in verse 14. He said, hold your peace. You need to shut up right now. All this garbage about going back to Egypt about being better off dead, all this garbage about dying out here, you need to shut up right now and understand that God is fighting this battle. You know what Moses is saying? You need to stop talking about your fear and start listening to what God said. He is going to fight this battle. I'm not trying to sound mean this morning, but Fill it in the Holy Ghost. Some of us need to shut our mouth because we're advertising the fear of hell and we need to listen to what the Holy Ghost is saying. And God saying, I brought you here to bring you through. I brought you out to take you in. I'm going to fight this battle. It's not yours to fight. It is mine to fight because his ways are not our ways his thoughts are not our thoughts let me preach to you this morning if God led you out and brought you to a red sea he's got a purpose in it he's got a reason behind it so Moses tells the people you need to shut up right now and listen to what the man of God speaks to them he tells them to go forward. Hold on a second. Go forward? Brother Roger, there's a sea in front of us. What a challenge. You want us to advance 
against the barrier. You want us to walk towards the problem. That don't make sense. We don't have no engineers with us. We don't have no bridges with us. God, we don't have no boats to get across. We have no way to get across this sea. But God has a way that you've never thought about, children of Israel. And so God says, go forward. But there's a sea there. Yes, I know my thoughts are not your thoughts. And my ways are not your ways. Go forward, God. Yes. All right, Lord, I don't understand what's going to happen when I get to this Red Sea. But all I know is I'm going to trust you. And if you say go forward, I'm going to go forward. God is telling somebody in the Holy Ghost right now that God is going to do a miracle that's going to blow your mind. But when he says go forward, you've got to step by faith. But God, there's a sea there. Yes, I know. But soon there's not going to be a sea there. So take the step. Take the step. About to part some waters and do a miracle like you need because His ways are not our ways. We don't need to trust in our flesh, but we need to trust in God's Spirit. You see, God moved towards the impossible because it's on the shores of the impossible that God does the miraculous. We see a problem, God sees a solution. Come on, somebody, that's the way it is. We see a problem, God sees a solution. We see an obstacle, God sees an opportunity. So don't be discouraged this morning. I know you don't understand what's going on and why you're going through it. But I'm here to tell you, God has positioned you for a miracle. God's going to do something that's going to change your life and destiny. That's why you go forward towards the Red Sea when God says to go forward. You just got to stop complaining. You got to stop looking back. God, it would have been better if we stayed in Egypt. God said, no, I've got a miracle about to happen. You need to go forward. Now I'm really going to stretch your thinking in the Holy Ghost this morning. The reason, Israel, that you're at the Red Sea is because it's big. Well, Pastor, that don't make sense. The reason you're at the Red Sea, Israel, is because it's impassable. And the reason why I did not lead you somewhere else, Israel, is because the miracle you need is right here in front of you, just waiting to happen. You see what is behind you? You see the army that has followed you out of Egypt? I can't drown them in a stream. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. I can't drown them in a river. I need a sea to drown them. So go forward part the Red Sea and when you come through the miracle you didn't know was there it's going to come in behind you and the deliverance you need will come to pass it's not a problem it's the solution and God is going to bring you through it let me say it again his ways are not our ways his thoughts are not our thoughts you need to keep your faith in God because what He brings you through, what He brings you through when you get on the other side, 
What you saw was a problem you will now see is a praise. Let me say it again. On this side of the Red Sea, it's a problem. But when you go forward and you start looking back, it's not going to be a problem any longer. It's going to be a praise. You're going to tell your children about the Red Sea. You're going to tell your children about the mighty wind. You're going to tell your grandchildren about how God delivered you from the Egyptian army. What you think is a problem is but a source of soon coming praise. His ways are miraculous. Sometimes God will challenge us. I'm going to lead to the third point. I'm going to hurry up preaching right now. Sometimes God will challenge us to do things that make no sense. I'm going to use a real big theological word here and I'll explain it. His ways are mind boggling. Uh, that's what I have been in seminary for four years to learn. His ways are mind-boggling. They are beyond our ability to understand. Don't be confused by this. When God asks you to do something, Brother Roger, that makes no sense at all, Brother Chance, we just do it because it's a demonstration of faith and God honors faith and obedience. Let me give you an example. In 2 Kings chapter 5, Naaman a leper came to Elisha the prophet to be healed. God instructed the prophet Elisha to tell Naaman to go dip in the river of Jordan seven times. And Naaman got upset about it. That don't make no sense. That don't make no sense at all. I was planning to go to the preacher and I expected him to, to speak great oratorical words and all this other stuff. And he looks at me and tells me, go dip in the river Jordan seven times. What does that have to do with healing leprosy? And at first, Naaman gets upset about it. And he doesn't do it. Finally, one of his servants come to him and said, come on. If the preacher would have told you to pay a bunch of money to be healed, you'd have done it. If the preacher would have asked you to do anything else, you'd have done it. He's just asking you to go dip in the river Jordan seven times. So Naaman puts his pride aside. And he goes and dips. Five times, he's not healed, Brother Hilton. Six times, he's not healed. Because you see, when you're obedient, Brother Roger, half obedience is disobedience. Oh, let me preach to you. Three-quarters obedience is disobedience. Six times dipping in the river did not heal him. But Brother Rich, the seventh time, when his head popped up out of leprosy was gone. What does dipping in the river of Jordan have to do with healing a leprosy? I ain't got a clue. But what I do know, his thoughts are not my thoughts. His ways are not my ways. And so if God wants to challenge me to do something, then I'm going to do it by faith. Jesus meets in John chapter 9 a blind man. He dips down, gets a bunch of dirt, spits in it, makes it into a mud pack, and puts it on the man's eyes. And the man received his sight and was healed. What does spitting mud have to do with healing of blindness? I don't know. But if that's the avenue God wants to walk down, then get out of my way. I'm going to walk down that avenue because I want to be a part of what God is doing. Folks, the list goes on and on. My point is this. If they would have resisted the mind-boggling, nonsensical approach 
that the Lord was doing, they would have missed their miracle. So the next time you're sitting in church and God's Spirit shows up and says, Brother Chance, I want you to dance across the altar right now and I'm going to heal your wife's womb and you're going to have triplets next year. Jesus' name. Quadruplets, Lord. Multiply their ministry. And you're sitting there and you're thinking, God, it's not the right song. Lord, do you realize Jim Fralick and Bill Schroyer is up here collecting offering right now. And you want me to dance across the altar? God says, yeah, I do. You see, folks, it's a demonstration of faith and obedience. God's got a purpose. I don't understand why God does what He does. But I've learned a long time ago, if God says to do something, then do it. Because God has got a purpose for the life of me. I don't understand what a Father's Day tumbler had to do with Brother Owen and Sister Brittany having a baby. But if you was in church that Sunday, you know on Father's Day, we handed them out. And in a minute of Holy Ghost revelation, I said, I feel to have Brother Owen come up here. God told me to give you this Father's Day cup. We find out two weeks later they're having a baby that they've been praying for. I don't understand the connection. I don't understand the dynamic. But what I do tells you to do something, uh, then step out by faith and understand uh, that God is going to bring a miracle through your obedience. Some of you have heard me share this story. If you have, indulged me and act like you've never heard it before. I was preaching a, a service at my dad's about 20 years ago, and there was a Mennonite couple that were Mennonite for about 40 to 50 years at that point. And they had started coming. And they loved the apostolic church. Very different than a Mennonite church. And the husband was growing at a faster pace than his wife. She was somewhat resisting. They were Sunday school teachers in the Mennonite church. They worked in the Mennonite publishing company. They were steeped in the Mennonite tradition. But they loved the church. They loved the power of God. And as they were growing and growing, I was teaching them Bible studies. And God laid upon my heart to preach a message. And I still remember the message I preached on the outside looking in. And someday I'll preach the message here. And I preached about how that there were folks who was on the inside of this house. And they wanted to be where Jesus was at. And they were crammed inside of that house, Brother Roger, because they didn't want to be on the outside looking in. They wanted to be on the inside where Jesus was at. So they ripped the roof off and did everything they could to get inside the house because they wanted to be where Jesus was at. And I preached that message. And I felt in the Holy Ghost that God was pulling on Bill and Harriet Swank to save them that night. And as I was preaching the message, God laid on my heart to do something that is absolutely stupid. Makes no human sense. God said, I want you to lay your, your coat right there in the altar. And as you get done with the end of the message, I want you to tell the church, uh, this coat represents the dividing line between the outside and the inside. Some of you have been living on the outside of what God is doing. And when you step across this coat, you're stepping across the threshold to the inside where God is moving and operating. And if you want to step 
step into the threshold uh, and step into what God is doing, uh, I want you to come and line up and we're going to pray. What I want people begin to line up. And Brother Roger, I've seen Bill and Harriet Swank stand up in the back of the church. I've seen as they come down, they was about 70 years old at this time. They came down and they stood behind the coat. Uh, Sister Jetta, come here. I was going to ask you to be my wife, but I don't want to freak you out. Sister Jetta, stand over on this side. Right here. Harriet had a hold of his arm with a lockdown death grip. You've seen white knuckles. She is holding him back. And now it was their turn at the coat. Thank you. Just sit down. And I'll never forget that night. Harriet was locked down on Brother Bill's left arm. And Brother Bill lifted his foot up, and it was about right there. And Harriet grabbed a hold of Bill, pulled him back from the coat. She stepped across first. As she stepped across, when her foot hit, she began to speak in other tongues and face planted in the altar. Face first, right down in the altar. I seen the Holy Ghost come upon Bill and no one needed to tell him. He stepped across and he went down on the other side speaking in tongues. Both of them received the baptism of the Holy Ghost that night. What does stepping across a suit jacket in a small country church have to do with getting the Holy Ghost? I don't know, but if Jesus says to do it, then I want to do it. I want to be obedient because his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. I don't understand the dynamics of it all, but this I know God blesses us. And if God is going to do something, I want to be a part of it. Don't resist. Don't hold back. I'm going to preach to you for a few more moments this morning, Brother Chance. I'm afraid that Bill and Harriet, they missed their outpouring of the Holy Ghost because some of us are too caught up in human pride and we think this is crazy. We think this is old-fashioned. We think this is 1910 Pentecost. Oh, this is Book of Acts Pentecost. This is obedient to the Holy Ghost Pentecost. This is God wanting to pour His Spirit out. And if God says to do something, then we must be obedient to what thus saith the Lord. God wants to save people. I am happy to tell you that after 50-some years, they were both baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost. Bill is now 92 years old, still serving the Lord. His wife passed away a few years ago. She died with her name written in the Lamb's Book of Life, all because she stepped out by faith. Didn't understand it, but stepped out by faith. I'm going to close with this. Finally, I want you to understand His ways are merciful. John 8, the scribes and the Pharisees bring a woman to Jesus who's caught in the very act of adultery. They desired to make a point out of her, to stone her. Jesus stoops down to the ground and he scrawls something into the dirt, looks up and says, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. His ways are not our ways. We want to condemn, he wants to convict. We want a stone, he wants to save. 
please don't ever come to me and say, Pastor, so-and-so's here today and give me their reputation. The blood of Jesus takes care of all of our reputations. We all have a resume of sin a mile and a half long. His ways are merciful. Don't bring her to be stoned. Bring her to be saved. Bring her to Jesus to understand mercy and grace. This is one of our biggest problems where we struggle to be Christ-like. We see a man with anger issues, swearing problem, but God sees the preacher of Pentecost. We see a bloodthirsty killer and persecutor, and God sees the apostle to the Gentiles. We see a white-collar criminal and traitor who is working for the Roman Empire, but Jesus sees the apostle Matthew and the writer of that glorious gospel. We must not view people based upon their past failures, but we must see people based upon what mercy can do in their life. Mercy has changed me. It has changed you. His ways are merciful. Can we close our eyes across the sanctuary this morning? I am sure by now you have realized that many times our thoughts and our ways fall far short of the ways and the thoughts of the Lord. I invite you to come to this altar right now. If as I was you thought to yourself, oh Lord, Lord, I, I don't quite have the mercy you have, Jesus. I don't quite understand your ways the way I should. God, I need a better understanding of your almighty power. Lord, I need you. Help me, Jesus, to have the mind of Christ. If you feel that you need to become more Christ-like in your thinking, in your ways, your actions, and your conduct, and your character, I invite you to come and kneel at this altar right now. We're going to pray with you in the name of Jesus. I'm here to tell you His ways are mighty. His ways are miraculous. His ways are mind-blowing. His ways are merciful. Let me say it again as we pray. His ways are mighty. His ways are miraculous. His ways are mind-blowing. His ways are merciful.